Welcome to Lake Mount Worship Center, connecting you to the life-changing presence of Jesus Christ. We hope that you are blessed and inspired by today's message. It's not Pastor Matt. It's not T.D. Jakes either. (laughs) I've only heard that about a million times. So I thought I'd put it out there right now just in case anybody might be confused. My wife tells me I'm better looking, so I'll I'll take that. (laughs) She always knows how to encourage me. Amen, amen, amen. Hallelujah. I'm a little overwhelmed on the inside. I was doing fine. And then my brother came up to me and sat down beside me at the end of the prayer meeting and said, I really feel God wants you to share some of your testimony and your message. Little did he know that I had said to the Lord, "Eh, I'm not planning on doing that. So we'll get there. I'm excited because we're looking at the Antioch church. I'm excited because it is such a unique and powerful church. And, you know, we, as members of the congregation, we never know where Pastor Matt is going to go. And so when he introduces topics, you know, we're all always excited and always anticipatory that God is going to be speaking and God is going to be moving. And so when he hit on the Antioch church, I was like, oh, baby, here we go. Get ready, get ready, get ready, because it's going to be some really, really good stuff. And last week was very special, really touched my heart. My wife and I talked a little bit about it through the week. But, you know, I want to take a minute and I just want to stop and I want you to look at the Apostle Paul for a minute. Because when Pastor Matt was sharing, he was was sharing how in Acts 15, when the, the, the leaders from the Antioch church went to the Jerusalem church to confront them because of the Judaizers and how the Judaizers, the Jewish Christians, were trying to make them live under the law, Paul, Saul, was the first one to say, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Now, let's take a look at that for a second. Because this man was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. This man was the man that was going around catching Christians and putting those Christians to death, putting them in jail. He had letters from the, from the high priest to go throughout the known kingdom at that time and to arrest believers because they were, they the Christians were viewed as being heretical. Are you with me? So this man, is he is so convinced of his Judaism. He is so convinced of the reality of how he is living, that he is right before God, that God is pleased with him, and even the judgments that he's bringing against these heretics is correct. And then all of a sudden he's riding on a donkey, And he's going to Damascus to get more Christians. And this light shines from heaven. And this light that shines from heaven, as you know, is so bright it knocks him off his his horse. It blinds his physical eyes. And he is, is, he's, he's like, whoa, who is this? Who is this? Who are you? I... Am Jesus. 
Now you've got to understand a minute. Wait a minute, 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 wait a minute. <laughs> what are you talking about, you're Jesus? What are you, you're this guy that was just crucified? You have to understand what would be going on on the inside of this man who has given his whole life from the time he was a child to be raised in Judaism, to believe Judaism, to follow the Torah, and to live a life of strict obedience to all of these things. And now he is confronted with, with the reality of God being totally different than what he had expected and what he had anticipated. All of a sudden now, everything that he believed and everything that he had based his belief on, if you notice today, I brought the big book with me. <laughs> because I want to use this as an illustration to you throughout the message in the sense of the commitment and the dedication. Doing it with a phone and doing it with an iPad just won't cut it. We're talking about the word of God. Paul, Saul at that time, is now, he, he's, 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 his whole world has changed. And so what that he does is he goes into Damascus, he preaches Christ, they're confused by him, they know who he is, and then they have to get rid of, he, they have to, he, he has to leave. But what does he do? And this is where I want us to stop for a minute. When he leaves, the Bible says that he disappears for three years. Help me, my brother. Thank you, sir. He disappears for three years. And I said to myself, what was he doing for those three years? Before he comes back on the scene, what was he doing? I'm telling you right now, he said, okay, God, I have your word. I have, the, I have Genesis through Malachi. I've based my life on it, but my thinking, my understanding, my revelation has been wrong. And I now need you as the illuminator of truth to show me what the truth is. And so he says, for I, he says in Galatians 1, I, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, get ready, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. I received it through a revelation. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned later to Damascus. Paul was like, Father, I need to know the truth. I need to understand what you're doing. I need to understand it from the word of God. I don't want to understand just what has been taught to me, but the reality of who you are. These three years where he was alone, he was looking at the word and he was saying, wait a minute, 
God doesn't work from plan A. God gave covenants. God gave the uh, Adamic covenant. He gave the Mosaic covenant. And we got stuck, stuck on the Mosaic covenant, exalting it above the covenants, not realizing that it was a secondary covenant. He gave the Abrahamic covenant. And in that Abrahamic covenant, he said this. I'm giving you a, a precursor of where I'm going. All the nations of the earth. All the families of the earth. Do we have any Latino families here? Come on, come on, come on. Latino families? Do we have any African families here? Oh, you got to be louder than that if you're from Africa. Come on, come on, come on. Do we have, do we have any European families here? Okay, like wherever you might be from, this is where God was looking way back in the Abrahamic covenant. This was where God was looking. This was plan A. This is actually going back to the Adamic covenant where God is looking and he's saying, I love you, every one of you. I am for you. I am, I, am, I am coming to be your savior. So Paul is a Judaizer. Paul should, in, in a natural sense, have been someone that said, oh, what? God spoke to Israel. God gave the covenants to Israel. Not all of them, but some of them. They're the premier people, and that was the thinking of the day. We're exalted above all the other nations in the earth, and so everybody has to come through us. So when the, Jew, when, the, when the disciples heard Jesus say, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel, they heard, go ye to all the Jews in all the world. Oh, getting hot in here. When Jesus said in Acts 1, you'll be filled with power and you'll be my witnesses and you shall go to Jerusalem, Judea. Okay, we're good with that. Samaria. Okay, the Jews in Samaria. And the uttermost parts of the world. They still heard it through the veil of their understanding. They still heard it through the veil of their thinking and of their training and of their expectation in the way that they had been raised. But Paul had this spirit. Paul had this spirit. Paul had the spirit of, no, 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 no. I can't just go by what man says. I have a spirit, and it's the spirit of the Bereans. It's the spirit that says, what does the word say? Can you say that to me? What does the word say? Nice and loud. What does the word say? That's what I'm interested in. Come on, church. I'm interested in what does the word say? Not just, does, not just what does my denomination say, and not just what does my denomination teach, and not just, oh, look out now, not just what my parents taught me. Come on. If you want to be free, you have to know truth. And the only way to get the truth is to get it from the word of God. And so everything, everything that Paul wrote, everything that Paul wrote, as now you have two-thirds of your New Testament written from this man, it is because this man got away. And he said, okay, Father, what did you say? Not what did they teach me and not what did they learn, but what did you actually say? Because once I know what God says, then I can be free and I can help set other people free. Somebody say amen. Amen. amen? It's not, it is never, per, it's, it's never just about you. God always has this big picture in mind. And so Paul, Paul was reading the word. He was studying the word. And he's finding, here you have Jesus. Jesus is confronting Israel. And he says to them, truly I say to you, 
no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them. Elijah was sent to none of them. Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. Prophetic picture. When they heard these, excuse me, and there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. Oh, wait a minute, you're messing with our, you're messing with our foundation. You're messing with our thinking. You're messing with our identity. You're messing with how we view ourselves and how we view the world. You're messing with that. I, no, 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 don't mess with that. We want you to come and confirm that and tell us that we're the everything. And Jesus was like, no, because you, don't, you haven't found my heart yet. You haven't got to my heart. I want you to have my heart. And so when they heard these things, they were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built so that they would throw him down the cliff. This was how entrenched they were in their thinking. So entrenched that they couldn't hear, even though he, Jesus, the living word, was speaking it to them, confronting them. So along comes Barnabas, and he goes down to Antioch. And he, they're having a party in Antioch. They're having a Holy Ghost good time in Antioch. They're seeing the grace of God on people's lives. They're looking and they're seeing the grace. And Paul, excuse me, Barnabas recognizes if this church is going to be all that it needs to be, we need to go get Paul. And he needs to come down. And what does he need to do? He needs to teach. He needs to teach. He needs to lay a biblical foundation so strong and so secure that they are going to be able to be everything that God intended them to be. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So this reality of what Jesus was doing in that church, the grace that was upon that church for for uh, for salvation was now coupled with biblical discipleship. It was coupled with a biblical understanding of what God was saying in his word. This church became the church, as Pastor Matt was saying. That it became the church because it was carrying the very heart of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it impacted that not only that day, but hundreds of years following from the 3rd century to about the 8th century, Antioch was an important center for the development of Christian theology. The approach to Scripture and to the nature of Christ taken in Antioch tended to be historical and rational in contrast to an overly spiritualized allegorical approach taken in other parts of the country and other parts of the world at that time. 
here was this upstart church that was, they were the outside that God made the center. They were the ones that nobody would consider to be anything and God said, I'm going to take you and I'm going to use you. God, they didn't have thousands of years of spiritual experience and training, but what they did have was a hunger for the word of God. They had a hunger for the word of God that they were not going to be just uh, on the outside. They were saying, Lord, we want to be the very people that are working in your spirit and moving in your spirit, that have your heart, that have your desire, that are being used by you to literally touch the world and change the world. Any, can anybody identify with that? I, I think that's what God's doing in this place. I, I don't think it. I know it. I know it for a fact that that's what God is doing in this place. But he's grounding it on his word. God helped them break. God helped the Antioch church to break a, a Mecca mindset. A mindset, even though there was no Mecca at that time. I'm using it because we can relate to it. Because at that time, it was God who was going to use Jerusalem. God was going to use the Jews. God was going to use this select group. And they couldn't see, excuse me, those outside couldn't see that the plan of God had always been his church. That plan A was the church of Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody say amen. Amen. The plan of God was always what you're seeing right here, right now, is the reality of what God desires in his church that all nations and all tribes and all tongues come together in the name of Jesus, worshiping the Lord Jesus, giving him glory and giving him honor and recognizing him for who he is. And so they broke this Mecca mindset that said God's going to do it through them instead of being able to say God's going to do it through me. Can I get an amen? God is going to do it through me. He's going to do it through me. And they recognize that, that God, when we come in Jesus, we can recognize that we are, as it were, his favorites. That might sound strange to you. I look at Joseph, and when Joseph was revealed to his brethren, and he looked at Benjamin... And when he looked at Benjamin and he recognized he's like my blood brother, as it were, son of my own mother, what did he then do? When it came time for them to eat, he gave him five times as much. Now, I don't think that means that Benjamin was a big boy. <laughs> I don't think that that means that he thought, oh, he needs more food because he needs more to, to, to fill him up. No, he was, he was showing him favor because of relationship and because of connection. And God wants and is showing you favor because of relationship and because of connection. He wants you to understand that now that you are in Jesus, all of the promises of God to you are yes, and all of the promises of God to you are amen, because you are in Jesus. There's nothing that needs to be added to that. That you have everything that you have need of because you have Jesus. Everything that was missing before you now have. And so for when you were on the outside and you were kind of wondering what life was about and what, how life has meaning, when you came to Jesus, all your questions, you may not even know it, but all your questions are answered in him. They understood that God is a God of the here and now 
And so the moving of the Holy Spirit in, in power was available to all who believed. Jesus said to her, John 4, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here. It's now here. From the, from the minute that Jesus spoke it, from the minute that it came out of his mouth as God the Son and the Son of God, it's now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus, as we heard in early prayer, is the word of God. He is the word of God. He's the bread of life. We heard that in early prayer. He's the word of God. He's the bread of life. In the, in the tabernacle, there was the table of showbread, but beside it, there was a candelabra. And the candelabra, which is a picture of the Holy Spirit, is the Holy Spirit illuminating the Word. It's the Holy Spirit illuminating your time in the Word. Can I ask you a personal question? Just internally, how much time do you spend in the Word? How much time in a given day do you spend in the Word? Many of you, you may not even realize it, you are so well equipped that in other places you would be authorized teachers to teach because you've been saved for so long. You, you know things you don't even know that you know. But then there's this element where the Holy Spirit is brooding over the word and your time in the word in which he wants to give you revelation. He wants to give you illumination. He wants to release prophetic wisdom to you, to speak to your family, to speak to your friends, to speak into culture and into society. It comes because of a dependence, not on our own ability, but on God's ability. It comes, on a, it comes out of a dependence of a hunger and a thirst for the word of God. They that hunger and thirst after righteousness, the Bible says, they shall be filled. But that hunger and that thirst, it flows out of my time, not just in prayer, but in the word. Because like Paul, like the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul was able to diagnose the situation that he was in based on revelation from the word of God. The amazing thing about it is that the truth was always there. God didn't add to his word. God didn't say, oh, for you, Paul, I'm going to add some things so that now you can speak to this situation and this circumstance. No, the truth was already there. And in Jesus, when the veils were removed, if the time was taken to spend in the word to hunger and to thirst and to desire it, then the truth, the revelation that God wanted to speak was going to be released. I'm going to give you four points real quickly, and then I'll share something from my heart. Four things that position you to receive revelation and illumination. 
Number one, humility. Number one, humility. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. That word opened their mind means to make open or cause to be open-minded. So there's a, there is a position, a spiritual position. We have many educated people in this room. PhDs, lots of them. Business owners, lots of them. Very intelligent, gifted people. But there is a reality that when we come before God, we come humbly. We come with a, with a, with a desire to have inform, um, illumination that comes from the Spirit of God that will enlighten us beyond anything anyone else could ever do. Situations and circumstances that seem difficult all of a sudden become easy because of an illumination that comes from God. Problems, mountains that need to be hurdled. I can't get over it. I can't get over it. I can't get over it. And then one word from God makes a change. Can I get an amen? One word from him and all of a sudden a change. But it's just a position. The greatest the greatest pride that is a problem in life is spiritual pride. Spiritual pride, if you look at history, spiritual pride and stubbornness, because <laughs> they go together, is what locks you out from being able to receive from God. And it not only locks you out, it locks other people out. When we have pride, and we, which, which flows into rejection of others, we limit them from being able to participate in the fullness of what God has. And we may have certain elements of truth in us, but because of the way we handle it and because of our high-mindedness, then they, people can't receive the grace that God wants to flow through us. But when you come in humility, of all the personages in the Bible, of all the men of God and women of God in the Bible, Jesus was the humblest of all. Jesus was known as being meek. He was known as having full strength under complete control. And he, he even when they were attacking him, he was in control. He, he didn't defend himself. He never cried out internally to God, smite them, Father. He didn't. He was humble. He was humble where he came and he bowed down and he washed the feet of his disciples. I don't know if you've ever washed someone's feet or ever had your feet washed. It's a very humbling experience. But it's a picture that says, I see you. I know you, I'm no better than you, I'm no higher than you, but nor am I any lower than you. I am just like you, as I love to say, we are all equal at the foot of the cross. 
Now, when we come to God and we recognize, like Abraham, I am but dust and ashes, Lord, and let your light, let the light of your word shine on me. Let the truth of your word be given to me. There are some people here who are newly saved. You've been saved for the last six months or the last year. And I just, I just pour oil and fire on your heart to hunger and to thirst after the word of God. That the promise of the word of God is that he'll make you wiser than your teachers. That if you will hunger and if you will thirst after God's word, if you will devour the book, devour the book, eat the book, have questions about the book. There are cons- I don't know what this means. I don't understand what that means. How come it's written this way? Why wasn't it written that way? Why is it different in Matthew than it is in Mark? And yes, good, wonderful, fantastic. <laughs> Be hungry to know what the Lord has spoken is and to why he has spoken it because it's only going to build upon your foundation. <laughs> Thank you, my brother. I guess I'm a little bit more like TD than I thought. Eh? <laughs> I, had, I had one at home and I was looking at it. I'm not going to need it. <laughs> I guess I needed it. That position, whoa, time's flying. That position is a position that will carry you to greatness your entire life. I'm, I'm telling you, it's, it's, the, it's the, one of the most simple basic principles in the word of God that if we can catch it, take the low position, take the low position, take the low position, take the low position, take the low, even though you deserve the high position, take the low to pis, position, just take the low position. Take the low position. Take the low position. Dedication. Study to show yourself approved. That's point number two, dedication. You know, we have so much to take our attention. Great men of God from overseas have have said that when they're overseas and they're ministering, they don't have all the distractions, and so they're able to spend more and more time in God's word. And that whenever they come to America, all of a sudden distractions are everywhere, 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 everywhere. And uh, they, 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 they feed your eyes. They feed your ears. And, and as they're feeding them, you desire those things. And God's saying, slow down, slow down. I'm, I come first. Time with me is first. But that doesn't mean, like we used to teach many times, oh, if you spend time in the morning, you're good. You don't need any more. No, I want time every day as much as I can. I want more. Secret time, private time. Yes, I love how Pastor Matt says uh, having that internal dialogue where we pray without ceasing before the Lord. But there's a time where you're like, Lord, I want more of your word. I want to dig out more. Call somebody up and say, I was reading this in the word. What were you reading? What did, what did that mean? How did God speak to you? What did he illuminate to you? And be a, have a spirit of illumination that's flowing in the body because it's going to be useful because, listen, this place is going to explode. It's going to explode. I'm telling you right now. But just like the Antioch church exploded and it did explode and it lasted for hundreds of years, it was founded on the word of God. It was founded on a dedication to the word of God. It was founded on the doctrines of scripture. Truth is under attack. Oh, Stephen, you're getting off. You know, five minutes. Five minutes, five minutes. <laughs> Stay hungry. 
Stay hungry. Stay hungry. They that hunger and thirst after righteousness, the promises you'll be filled. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it is the glory of kings to search it out. Do you know you're a king? Do you know you're a queen? Two people. (laughs) Only two people. (laughs) Do you know that's a fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant? That's a fulfillment. King priests. Do you know that's a fulfillment of the Adamic covenant? It's not plan B. It's not plan C. It's plan A. It's the first plan. It's the original plan. Kings produce kings. Wow. That's a revelation. Your father's a king. Somebody say amen. Come on. King of kings. You're princes and princesses. It's real. It's not, it's not C.S. Lewis' fairy tale. It's the Bible. It's the truth. You just don't see it. It hasn't been revealed. It hasn't been illuminated. But it's true. And when you catch it, <sighs> obedience. Obedience unlocks the door for the more. Knowledge puffs up, but obedience enables you to grow up. Knowledge puffs up, but obedience enables you to grow up. Father, I just ask you now to help I ask for your guidance. In Jesus' name. So I got saved as a prayed my salvation prayer as an eight-year-old. I shared this with you before. When my father applied the Board of Education to my seat of learning. And I couldn't sit, so I was kneeling. Then at 13... God arrested my life, and I began to devour the word of God. If you ask my family, thought I was crazy, carried a Bible (laughs) as big as this into high school and put it on the corner of my desk for five years. The one thing about salvation for me is the concept of truth. God is either true and worthy of being followed as truth, not an idea, not a philosophy, but truth. So when I read in John 14 and Jesus says the spirit The spirit of truth will be given to you. And and it will speak to you and it will lead you, lead you into all truth. And it will bring to your mind my truth, the things that I've spoken. 
I don't know about you, but I got, I got excited. This is amazing. This is amazing. This is amazing. But because of my background, because of the racism that I had endured as a child in life, not only in childhood, I could share a million experiences. That's not the point. The point is that when I came to the Word of God and I was hearing how I was viewed in the Word of God by much of Christendom, it put massive limitations on my expectations as to what God could do or would do. And I came across the Antioch Church. And I came across Antioch 13, excuse me, Acts 13.1. And I read in there and I find out that that leadership team was a multiracial leadership team had an African, probably two Africans, had a, a Jewish gentleman, and most likely a European gentleman. So here, this church that God used to replace the Jerusalem church was a multi-ethnic leadership team. And it had a multi-ethnic vision based on the heart of God. Are you with me? So I have the attitude, I want to see myself in the word. I come to the word, I want to see myself in the word. And everyone who's sitting here based on culture, based on experience, based on rejection, based on upbringing, you can come to God with an idea of where you fit in the picture. And you can miss out because you see yourself on some level as a second-class citizen, as a second-class believer, as not able to be all that God intended you to be. That you're, you're, you're good but not good enough. And the Spirit of God wants you to hear, that's a lie. That's demonic. That's not from me. Let me share one more thing if I can get through it. Father, help. I saw a video a little while ago. And um, it was a doll experience, uh, experiment. And it was with children, Italian children, mostly uh, children from other nations. Anyway, the... the the crux of it was that there was two dolls, a light and a dark doll, and they were to pick the one that was the prettiest, the one that was the ugliest, the one that was good, and the one that was not good, and then they had to identify which one they were. And if you want to be broken, broken in your heart, I dare you to watch that. But the point is, that I'm bringing it up and why I'm bringing it up is that how you see yourself, your ethnicity, 
your hair, your behind. <laughs> Look out now, he's getting real. How you see yourself, how you love yourself because God loves you, makes all the difference in even how you approach him and in your faith and in your expectation for grace and glory and power and anointing to flow through you. Somebody say amen. I know it's painful. I know it's quiet in here. But I'm I want you to understand that if we, the church of Jesus Christ, come to the place where we understand and recognize the beauty that the father looks down at his daughters and says, will you come dance with me? I have a dress for you. I have shoes for you. I have makeup for you. Come and dance with me. Come and shut the door. I love you. You are my little queen. You are my little princess. You're precious to me. Man, I've got armor for you. I've got battle armor for you. I've got strength for you. I've got, a I've got authority for you. There there's work for you to do in caring for your home and your family and for my kingdom. You're a man of God. You're, 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 a, new, you're a New Testament warrior. I have, I have so much for you. Why do you think so little of yourself? Why do you think so small about who you are? When you are mounted up with wings as eagles, you can run and not be weary and walk and not faint because, because you're my son. You're my daughter. You are precious in my sight and I paid the price for you so if I paid the price for you how much value how much value do you have stand with me Jesus Jesus hallelujah hallelujah if you just Shut your eyes. Do some business with God here for a minute. Maybe you're visiting today. Maybe you've been here for a while. But I want to give you the opportunity to lift up a hand to God and say, Father, I want you in my life. You're not sure that your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, but you want that insurance. You want to be able to go to the Bible and have it unlocked. You want to be able to know what truth is. You want it to just kind of radically change your heart and your life. If that's you today, if you don't know the Lord, you know about him, but you don't know him, I want you to just lift your hand to him right now. You're not lifting it to me. You're lifting it straight up to him. And God in heaven is seeing those hands right now, those three hands that are lifted right now. He's seeing those hands. He, he knows that fourth hand, that fifth hand. God's seeing that hand. He sees it. He sees that hand. More hands are going up. Praise God. Father, we come right now for these lives that are lifting up to you. And Lord, it's not, it's not what's going on on the outside, but it's what's going on on the inside. As their heart recognizes that they're a sinner in need of a Savior. And they want that King Jesus to come into their life and save them and deliver them and lead them and guide them. I pray for them right now, Lord, that they are crying out to you, Father, I come in your name, and I ask you to forgive me of my sins and to put Jesus on the inside and help me live for you and run for you all the days of my life. Hear that prayer, Father. Hear that prayer and answer it, we ask in Jesus' name. For, the, for those, some of you, it's kind of like Holy Ghost homework. 
What do you see when you look in the mirror? What do you see when you look in the mirror? Do you see a man of God? Do you see a woman of God? Do you see a princess? Do you see a king? Do you see someone bought with the most precious blood of Jesus? And that there is nothing too hard for your father to do in you or through you. I want you to, I want that to hit home. It comes by revelation. It comes by illumination. It comes by the truth of God's word. We're going to ask the prayer team to come right now. Maybe you would like someone to pray with you and pray along these lines. Some ladies here from wounding from your childhood that you've never felt beautiful, that you've never felt beautiful, you've never thought yourself as beautiful. I'm telling you right now, you are beautiful. You are God's masterpiece. No matter what hurt or harm has come your way, break off the lie. Nobody can give this to you. It comes by revelation from the Spirit of God that you are a precious, blood-bought princess that God is just so desiring to bless and use. Amen, amen. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for time around your word. We thank you for time sitting at your table. We ask for the grace of the Holy Spirit to be ministering to each and every life in this place as they go home and even ponder your word. For those who will be coming forward, Lord, we just pray for your Holy Spirit to speak to them and set freedom in their hearts and in their minds. In the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information on who we are, visit our website at lakebound.ca or download our app for your mobile device.